Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Very, very special messages I have prepared for you guys today. I've been thinking about this particular message for the past two years, so much so that this is going to be a three-part series on how to make it big in America. Today is our first episode. I highly encourage those of you who are listening to this to make sure you come along for the ride so you can hear the context of all of this. We're going to be building out the problem. We're going to be providing some solutions and then give you some how-tos, and it's going to take three episodes of the show to do that. So welcome today. We also have some folks watching via Buffini TV today. So welcome to the TV audience and welcome into my studio. I'm normally in here by myself, kind of hemming and hawing around and having a good time. But we brought the cameras in today because we really feel this is an important message and the right time for it. So here's where this all started. A little over a year ago, I read a report from uh, Harvard's Institute of Politics which said that 50% of millennials no longer believe that the American dream is possible. Now, later I read a survey that said 50% of baby boomers do not believe that their children will enjoy the same level of success that they have. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And it kind of shook me to my core, to be honest with you. And I realized I had to do something about it. You know, the famous baseball player who said, America been very, very good to me. Well, I certainly am the living personification of that. And as many of you know, I came to America with $92 in my wallet. A couple of months after being here, I got into a very serious motorcycle accident, in and out of hospital over the course of a couple of years, 13 surgeries, owed over a couple of hundred thousand dollars in medical bills and other expenses. But I had a chance to go start my life here in America, even if it was a rough start, and ultimately build my fortune. And it wasn't because I'm so uniquely talented and brilliant. You know, the biggest gift I had was that I got knocked over in America. That was the biggest gift. It would have been harder in other places. If I'd have gotten run over in Afghanistan, that might have been more challenging to build a fortune. But I got my start in America, and so I become a student of success, and a student of my own journey. And so when I heard this information first, I started writing down some notes. And then I started engaging my own desire for research because I wanted to see other people's successes and the patterns of other people's success. And then I tapped into, I have the great fortune over here in this particular building. We have four buildings on our campus at Buffini and Company. And, and part of this building here is dedicated to a research team for all the seminars and all the information and magazines and all the things we do for our core coaching and training business. And so I kind of unleashed the team. And I said, you know, I want to really discover all the patterns that people who came here with nothing and became the rags to riches story. And so it ended up turning into what is now a book which has just been released, entitled The Emigrant Edge. And the subtitle is How to Make a Big in America. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And the word is emigrant. Now, there's a lot of conversation about immigrant. 
and immigration and immigration policies and all the different political buzzwords around it. This is not a political book. You know, Bono used to say, this is not a rebel song. This is Sunday, bloody Sunday. Well, this is, uh, this is not a political book. This is a bloody wake-up call to people who think that the American dream is no longer possible. I wanted to share not only my own experience, but as a student of success, I wanted to share this research on America's most common rags to riches stories. People who came here with nothing and went on to build great businesses, fortunes, and lives. You know, it was about five years ago, I did a seven-country speaking tour in Europe. It was a fabulous experience. The heads of each real estate association in each country had aligned together to bring me in. They set up these huge conferences, thousands of people, interpreters. There sometimes uh, in Vienna, I spoke to an audience that spoke 11 languages, and they had 11 set of interpreters. You know, so it was fantastic. I was in Portugal, and I was, there was 2,000 people. I was in a nightclub. And they had the dancing balls and the dancing music. And it was like I got seven different countries, seven different cultures. I was in Italy and they told me, just so you know, don't be upset. But the people are on the phones all the time. They leave early. They don't pay attention. But we're happy you're here. And I'm happy to tell you that the Italians, I don't know whether it was the name Buffini or whatever else, but they stayed till the very end. I gave them an all-day seminar. Nobody left. Nobody was on their phones. They were crying their eyes out when I left. We had a great time. But when I prepare for a talk, I do a lot of preparation. And anyone who's worked for me and knows, I'll say I do 100 hours of prep for every hour of talking, but that's probably on the light side. But I would sit down on a conference or a Skype with each one of the heads of the, these real estate associations in each country to really ask them, you know, what was the need for them? What was the need for their association? But ultimately, what was the biggest need that their audience had? And in each case, the answer came back as some variation of the same answer, which is, can you help my people have more ambition? One thing or the other, they had said. Now, I've done over 2,000 seminars, and I do the research for every audience I've ever spoken to. But in 25 years of doing presentations, never had the head of an organization for an American audience ever said, we need you to help our folks have more ambition. And it really struck me. And as I was talking to these folks, obviously I'm European born. Uh, I'm very, very fond of the association. As, as much as I'm an American citizen, I have an American wife, American kids. I got a kid in the military for the U.S. I got a kid who rides horses for America and is a two-time national champion. You know, all those kinds of things. I'll cheer for the European Ryder Cup team. Sorry, the hate mail or email, you can send it somewhere else. But that I do. But I was kind of uh, amazed that the Europeans need a more ambition. And I've just, in 25 years of speaking, I'd never heard that. However, in recent times here, I have started to notice subtle shifts in the audiences here in the U.S. who attend our events or the differences in the mail or the email I receive each month. And even more discernible, I've noticed a change in what is being reported on social media or feedback on the social media outlets. And so I begin today what will become this three-part series on how to make a big in America. Now, ultimately, this is also going to turn into a book tour and a promotional tour where I plan to sell Americans on the fact that the American dream is more attainable today than at any point in time in its history. There will be far more fortunes made 
in the next 50 years in this country than there were in the last 50 years. And this is not just some feel-good, pie-in-the-sky, wishy-washy exercise in enthusiasm and patriotism, but it's rooted in historical research, statistical analysis, GDP growth analysis, the wealth effect, and the overall well-being of the American market. However, I'm going to focus most of my attention on the most important aspect of the American dream, and that is the human capital and what it takes to achieve it. This podcast was established with the goal of bringing mindset, motivation, and the methodologies of success to our audience so that people can take these things on board, go apply them, and become more successful in their lives. People seem to enjoy it. You guys have been telling your friends about it, and we've uh, received an exponential growth in just the first year of this show. And so I hope you will spend the next three episodes with me so you can become more vigorous in your pursuit of the American dream. Now, I know there's 150 countries that download this podcast, or people in 150 countries, but I believe the American dream is maybe its most viable and fantastic export. And so uh, for all of you in all the other countries, the American dream, I hope it translates into your language, your culture, and your life. So let's get going here. In his 1931 book, The Epic of America, historian James Truslow Adams defined that the American dream is that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone, with opportunity for each according to their own ability and desire for achievement. Margaret Thatcher in 1991 said that no other nation has been built upon an idea, the idea of liberty. It turns out even the great Irish philosopher Bono agrees with Margaret Thatcher. Bono said, America's not just a country, it's an idea. Who'd have ever thought those two would agree on anything, right? After all, the founding fathers of this country produced a declaration of independence. Isn't it fantastic, though, when you think about it? I have six kids, and my goal in life is to educate, mentor, train, give these guys principles and guidelines to ultimately help them to become independent, vibrant contributors to society. Great husbands and wives, great fathers and mothers, great bosses, great workers, great contributors, great neighbors, great supporters of churches and ministries and charities. That's my goal. And so you think about it, you have this declaration of independence. And it wasn't just telling the king in England to go take a hike. This was a declaration. Here's who we are. Here's what we're all about. And we all know the words, but I'm telling you. These words are more important than what you're listening to on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and all the social media clickbait garbage. So we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's just genius. In our world today, we're just drowning in information and starving for wisdom. Well, there's some wisdom there from 1776 that still holds true today. Now, from my own personal experience, Ireland as a country was a possession of another country for over 800 years. But once we gained our independence, you know, we fell into some of the same old traps of the time-honored class system. 
And I grew up on the wrong side of that class system my whole life. The class system was who was your father? What did he do? What did he have? What school did you go to? Where did you live? What church did you attend? Those things dictated your future. I remember feeling the intense frustration working hard in school, and I had a kid in my class who was from the other side of the tracks. He was on the right side of the class system, and he messed around in school. He didn't get good grades. He wasn't a particularly good teammate, wasn't a particularly good classmate, but he had his whole next opportunity set up before he ever went to school. He caused other people to fail exams. He caused other people to get in trouble. He got other people into drinking and drugs and other stuff. And sure enough, when he came out of school, he walked into this big job in an Irish bank. When a guy like me or other guys like me, we had no chance. It's interesting, the irony of that, is that when the Irish banking system failed, this fellow who was a classmate of mine was one of the main characters that led into the precipitous failure of that bank the ethics and all that kind of good stuff. But see, he was on the other side of it. So I got to witness this growing up. I got to experience this growing up. I've shared stories on occasion, seldom, but I've shared stories of being kind of made fun of because, you know, we didn't have money or resources, whatever else. Now, here's the thing. My dad was a hardworking painter. He was a great man. My mom and dad are 86 and 87 years of age today. They live in the same house. They bought the house in 1957. And I had a great childhood and a great life. We didn't know we didn't have anything until we met some people on the other side of the class system. We didn't know we were missing out on opportunities until you met those other people. And I'll be honest with you, it built a drive in me that when I got to America was one of the sources to help me build my fortune. Now, you could say, well, I didn't have that class system. I didn't have those kind of subtle oppression. So, you know, that's why I don't have the drive. Well, we're going to address all that today, okay? I will tell you that one of the things that bugs me in modern American society is when I hear them talking about middle class and this and that and the other levels. The great gift of America is that it was not built on a class system. Now, there obviously is. There's old money in America. There's the blue blood Ivy League schools. And there's definitely elements of people who look down their nose and this and the other. But America, for the most part, America takes you as you are. You know, look at me. I'm an Irish immigrant. I'm married to an African-American woman. I have six mulatto kids. I came here. I was a Catholic. My wife was a Methodist. And I came to America. I was young. I started in real estate very, very young. And here I am selling the most expensive, most important investment that most Americans have. And they gave me a chance. And, you know, for all the talk and all the stuff going on in the colleges and all the stuff that's talked about right now with racism and genderism and sexism and all this different stuff, here's what I'm going to tell you is the truth. America's not perfect and American people are not perfect. American people have hearts that are every bit as sinful as every other country in the world. But I'm going to say this to you. American people, if you're good and you show up and you do good and you serve well, they'll give you a chance. Certainly enough of them will. The opportunity's here. And people gave me a chance. I showed up at people's home and said, I think I can sell your house. And they said, all right, we'll give you a go. You're young. You speak a little differently than we do. We don't know where your background is. They never asked me who my father was. They didn't ask me what school I went to. They didn't ask me what my credentials were. They didn't ask me how much money I had. They said, you know, you look like you have something. And they gave me a chance. And they listed their house at me. Or they let me represent them as a buyer. They let me lead them in a negotiation when they were nervous and scared. And they let me do it a hundred times a year. And out of that, I got a chance to do the next thing, which was not only make a really good living, but then I got a chance to buy the American dream, buy my first house, buy investment properties. Next thing you know, 
I was one of these very same American millionaires myself. And along the way, I also discovered a dynamic in America that's very, very powerful, which is this dynamic of personal growth and development. Whether it gets back to Conwell's Acre of Diamonds, whether it gets back to how to win friends and influence people with Carnegie, Think and Grow Rich with Napoleon Hill, The Strangest Secret with Earl Nightingale, Ogmandino, greatest salesman in the world, The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Les Brown, on and on and on and on it goes. For over a hundred years, America led the world in this element of personal growth and development that if you grew yourself and you worked on yourself, you could go from making a living to making a fortune by working harder on yourself than you did on your job. Because the class system didn't matter. Because you were endowed by your creator with the opportunity to pursue a life of happiness. Powerful stuff. And you're given that liberty. And I came to America. I never forget it. I got into real estate. My first mentor in real estate says, let's go to a seminar. What's a seminar? Never been to a seminar. Never heard of a seminar. That that didn't mean there weren't seminars in Ireland, but it certainly wasn't popular enough for me to ever hear about it. In 1980s in Ireland, I never saw self-development sections of the bookstore. There is today, but there wasn't then. But that's been going on in America for a long time. And so what happened? I started listening to these people. I listened to Lou Holtz, and I listened to Brian Tracy, and I I listened to Zig Ziglar, and I, I listened to Jim Rohn, and my goodness, I couldn't get enough, and I started reading the books, and I started listening to the cassette tapes. Any millennials listening, just Google a cassette tape. You've missed out on a whole thing in life because you haven't had cassette tapes. You don't know what it's like to rewind. Use scotch tape to fix it. There's so much you're missing out on. The fact of the matter is, I became a student of success. And I'm going to tell you that 30 years later, I'm more voracious as a student of success than I ever was. I still got plans. I still got goals. I still got dreams. And I don't have the tools yet to go and achieve those dreams. So I have to go develop myself. So here I am now after a very successful real estate career, I would be asked to go and share what I knew. Like, how did you with 92 books know nobody, have no relationships, don't have any connections, you weren't part of a fraternity, you didn't go to school here, you didn't know anybody. How did you go from $92 in your wallet to being a multimillionaire in a short period of time? And so I would be asked to come and guest speak at these different events, and I would go, and I would go share what I had. And I'll be honest with you, I'd have my notes on a napkin. I just did it to give back. And for a couple of years, I gave back and had a blast doing it, till eventually it became such a demand, and so many people clamoring for this, I said, well, maybe I'll go do something about this. And I built what was then Providence Systems, which then evolved into Buffini Company, which today is the largest business coaching company in America. We, we coach 20,000 business owners that represent 47 different industries. Now, a very high percentage are in the real estate and lending business. That's where we made our bones, because that's where I came from. But obviously, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are not in uh, real estate or lending, but are looking to this to develop personally. So as I stand here today in this studio at the time of this recording, I do the work that I love to do. I'm surrounded by hundreds of passionate staff that are committed to the same passion and vision that I have for the tens of thousands of clients whose businesses and lives have been transformed by the programs we teach and the systems we provide. That's why... I really don't have any bad days. It doesn't mean I don't get curveballs or things don't happen, but that's my life, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, when I read a report that says the American dream isn't possible anymore, it sends an electric shock up my spine. 
because it's not true. And so I'm going to talk to you about that. I, I have built a fortune in this country that allowed me to retire my parents. My dad is a house painter his whole life, had no retirement. But my dad got to step off a ladder 20 years ago in February of this year. I took my dad off a ladder and put him on a golf course. And he and my mom have had the life of Riley ever since. What a gift. What a gift to me. I've had a chance to support four brothers that came to America who emigrated and have built lives. Some of those lads work with me. Two other brothers work together in another business and doing great. But I was in a position to, to help out as much as I can there. I've had a chance to set up opportunity for myself and my children and my bride, my children and, and my children's children. You know, now I've built a, a fortune that's multi-generational. I mean, I came from nothing. I had nothing. And then I came here and something bad happened to me. So I went from 92 bucks in my wallet to minus 200 grand is where I started. What kind of a country is this that a fella who knew nothing, who wasn't at the top of his class, who didn't have any capital, didn't have any resources, didn't have any relationships, and then had something bad happen to him, and then because of the place he's in, because of the country he comes to, gets a chance to build a fortune, build his family's fortune, and help other people build their fortunes. Our clients average increase their business eightfold, 800% in a few years. That's what I do. Now, I'm a proud Irishman. I am. I bleed green. But I am deeply appreciative to the country of my adoption. And I've made it big in America. And I want to help you do the same. That's the bottom line. So in this particular episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline the seven reasons that stop us from making big in America. So the thing is, you can make it big in America, but everybody doesn't and everybody won't. So I want to examine the seven things that get in our way. And you can examine these different things. You can take a look at these things and see which one of these or multiples of these are currently affecting you. Because if you feel right now, if you're listening to this and you go, I haven't made it big, one or two or multiple of these seven reasons are applicable to you. And I'm going to provide in the next episode all the solutions to the seven problems. And in the last, I'm going to give you a little bit of juice to help you put together modern training, all world principles, so you can go take action. All right. I'm fired up. I don't know about you guys. I, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say today. My God, this is unbelievable. So the first reason why people don't make it big in America is that people have stopped dreaming. I began this by saying that 50% of millennials, according to Harvard Institute for Politics, don't believe that the American dream is even possible. And baby boomers believe that their kids will not have it as good as they had it. Well, the great American icon, and I'll have a lot of American great quotes today, Walt Disney said, if you can dream it, you know it, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. So here's the thing, what's the opposite of that? If you don't dream it, you can't do it. Here's what I know. It might be easier to make it big in America than ever before because 50% of the people you're competing against don't even believe they can win. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine competing in a sport where the other team has no belief that they can win? They're just filling a uniform. Folks, I actually believe it's easier to make it big in America than ever before. The great American satirist Mark Twain said, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. 
So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Mark Twain said that about a hundred years ago. Let me ask you, is that still applicable today? So bottom line is, if 50% of your competition isn't even dreaming, when you start to dream, you're in a position to whip the competition. And by the way, boys and girls, the pursuit of happiness is what you're guaranteed. You're not guaranteed happiness. You're not entitled to happiness. You're not granted happiness. You're granted the pursuit, which means you're granted the opportunity to compete. My father did not come off a ladder because somebody wrote me a check and somebody gave me something. My children's future and my grandchildren's future has not been established because somebody gave me something or somebody granted me something. It's I had a chance to go compete. And that's why a fellow with a small amount of talent has been able to have great results because I'm living in the land of opportunity and I have learned to utilize the seven traits of successful immigrants, which is why I wrote the book. More on that later. All right. The second thing that keeps us from making it big is close-mindedness. Close-mindedness. I love when Zig Ziglar used to say, if only closed minds came with closed mouths. Wouldn't that be great? Boy, wouldn't that be great on the media today? Wouldn't that be great on the news shows and on social media if the most closed-minded people who already have their mind made up on every decision We don't have news today, boys and girls. We have opinions. And you know it. By the way, here's the truth of it. Let's be honest. If you're a liberal, you watch MSNBC so you can be re-ingrained in what you already believe. And you're not watching Fox News. If you're a right-winger and you watch Fox News because you want to hear more and more of the same thing, and you're not tuning into MSNBC. And if you're tuning into CNN, you're just confused. Here's the bottom line. We just get more and more, and it's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. We rotisserize, rotisserize, rotisserize. Open minds typically often have closed mouths until you ask them for their wisdom. In our world today, the closed minds have the biggest mouths, and they have the biggest reach. One of my favorite scriptures, and ultimately the greatest personal growth and development book ever written, in fact, it's 66 books, says in the book of Romans, a letter written to the Romans, said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern to this world. This is about 2,000 years ago this was written. Tell me if there's not a pattern to this world today. Don't conform to that. It means don't fit in. You know, you think about it. We get into school, middle school and high school. We just want to fit in. All the kids dress the same. They all look the same. When the kids are in rebellion, they all look the same. You know, when there were man buns, everybody was man buns. When everybody had the beard, everybody had the beard. You know, whatever's going on. Tight skinny jeans and people tight skinny jeans. Jeans halfway down your butt with your underwear hanging out. Everybody's doing that. You know what I mean? And so, okay, that's the old farts argument. We used to have bell bottoms and polyester, right? And so we fit in. We fit in in middle school. We fit in in high school. We fit in in college. Then we start fitting in in life. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Let me ask you. Conforming to this world, (laughs) it's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Are most people wealthy? Are most people healthy? Are most people experiencing happiness? I don't think so. So when you fit in with the crowd, understand that you'll be broke, sick, and miserable. Now, I applaud you guys because you have tuned into this program, which already says that you're a person who's interested in growth. 
you're interested in development. So I applaud you for that. And I applaud you to listen to not just this program, but many others like it. And there's plenty of them out there. This program is a practical application of renewing your mind. We need to recommit to becoming readers, listeners, and doers. Read, listen, do. Notice I don't say watch. And watch is okay. Watching is good. But it's the lowest form of education. Because we're able to disconnect and check out. And so being a reader is the highest form. A listener, next. But ultimately, you've got to be a doer. Here's a little tip for you. Renewing your mind is not refreshing your screen. Just refreshing your screen, that's not renewing your mind. That deal right there is the black hole. And more and more and more and more. I'll be honest with you. I'm checking out more and more and more and more all the time. More and more apps going away all the time. used to have the phone by my bed waking up in the morning. Now I have it in the bathroom in another room recharging. Okay? I used to use it as my alarm. I bought myself a $10 alarm clock. So bottom line is I'm putting the good stuff in. And I'm going to talk more about that in episode two and all the good stuff you can put in. The third thing that keeps us from making it big in America is an inconsistent work ethic. Now, let me just stop the trying here for a second. Americans are hardworking people. I'm doing seminars. I typically will bring thousands of people to a location. We fill up hotels, and the hotels normally give me a real nice suite. And I remember here recently, I was in uh, downtown Dallas, and I had this suite that was like a top floor of a hotel. I, I don't need all that space, but they give it to me, and they don't use them that often, it seems. But it had a series of balconies on both sides. And there was big suites and, you know, sitting areas. And there was two bedrooms and all this stuff. And I went out and I'd do a little exercise in the morning. I'd go out in this whole sweeping balcony on one side and then a whole sweeping balcony on the other side. And I got to see a series of different freeways. And I get up pretty early. And it's 5.30 in the morning. And I'm finishing my reading and stuff like that. And I go out in this one balcony. I'm doing a bit of stretching. And you know what I saw? Red taillights everywhere. And then I went back out on the other balcony. I looked around. I saw red taillights everywhere. And I thought to myself, you know, that doesn't happen everywhere in the world. Where there's red taillights, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, because people are on their way to work. You know, Americans have, you know, their root in hard work, the farming mentality in early to rise. And, you know, there's a lot of that. But the word I brought up was inconsistent in the work ethic. You know, Thomas Edison was America's inventor. And he developed many, many devices that greatly influenced life around the world, including, think about this, the phonograph, the motion picture, and the electric light bulb. So think about here we are today, right? So music, video, and lights. Lights, camera, action, all developed by one man. By the way, those were three of his inventions. He held 1,093 U.S. patents. Amazing. And his core philosophy was this opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. No doubt. Especially today. People want to have it handed to them. People want to have it brought to them. They want the opportunity. They want to develop the app and be the multi-bazillionaire in three and a half weeks. You know, baseball is often called America's pastime. And Sam Ewing was a famous baseball player because he threw right-handed and he batted left-handed. Pretty neat. And he said... Hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, and some don't turn up at all. Well said, Sam. Bottom line is, inconsistent work ethic will lead to inconsistent earnings, 
inconsistent earnings will not avail of opportunity, not avail of opportunity will absolutely undermine any attempts to go build your own fortune and make it big in America. Number four reason might be the scariest trend I see in the country today. And it's a creeping sense of entitlement. You know, the definition of entitlement is believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Now, this is becoming an epidemic in our country because, I mean, again, there's a lot of studies on this, a lot of research on this. Simon Sinek did a a fantastic YouTube on this. You can look up Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, well worth taking a look at. But bottom line is there's been a lot of failed parenting strategies that I believe are backfiring on people in significant ways. You know, a quote that I say to people all the time, Bev and I have raised six pretty strong kids who are high achievers, they're great character, people know them, they've seen them at our events and stuff like that. People go, how have you been able to do that? I say all the time, a person becomes who they are because of the adversity they've overcome in their life and then proceeds to remove all aspects of adversity from their child's life. And so, you know, we've all gone through these things that were tough and they were the making of us. And then we try to remove every aspect of adversity from our child's life so that they don't get made. Now, you know, I don't believe in, okay, you're going to learn to swim because I'm going to throw you as a three-year-old into the 10-foot water and see if you can make it. And there's some people who believe in that. But the dynamic of the helicopter parent is everywhere. They just showed a report the other day that the number of A's in school is up 47%. And yet SAT scores are down 18%. Why? Because parents are banging on the teachers all the time. Well, if they don't get this and they don't get that, they don't get this and they don't get into that school, and yet so I'm hammering the teacher, hammering the teacher, and the kids are getting A's. And it's up by 47%. What are we doing? Making the A less valuable. Oh, we have the participation awards. Everybody gets a trophy. And here's the thing. You want your kid to get a trophy, but the science is in, is that when everybody gets the trophy... What it shows is the person who actually deserves the trophy no longer values it. And the person who's receiving the trophy, who didn't think they earned it, they're showing up in the psychological analysis as a lower self-esteem than any generation in American history. It's not working. I witness this on a daily basis. My kids are involved in all kinds of competitive sports, at school, on travel teams and whatever else. And it's bizarre. The complete level of self-absorption and child-centered parenting, where everything's about the kid. I watch people who are obsessed. I, I watch parents who are, as long as their kid's on the court and the team's getting shellacked, they're happy as can be. The team's winning and their kid's not on the court. It's a disaster. It's written all over their face. It's an emotional crisis. Here's the deal. The kid's getting the chance to learn, grow, struggle, strive. Guess what? The market says you're not good enough right now. Practice. Work harder. No? No, let me arrange a coup of the coach. Let me talk to the other parents and undermine this and undermine I'm watching it over and over again. And by the way, this is not just Brian's opportunity to vent here. There's a lot of studies on this. The University of Michigan surveyed 700 of the largest employers in the United States. And they said nearly a third of these companies said that parents are submitting resumes on behalf of their children. And that a third of the under 30 applicants they're getting are actually submitted by a parent. One quarter of these companies reported hearing from parents urging the employer to either hire their kid for a position or give them a raise or give them a promotion. Well, hear this one. 
4% of the companies reported that the parent actually showed up for the interview with the child. For the love of Mary. Now, here's the thing. Buffini and Company is a great place to work. But if you show up with little Johnny, and little Johnny's 25, little Johnny's gone out the door quicker than he's coming in the door. So if you're thinking about submitting an application on behalf of your kid, forget it. Okay? So, yeah, I'm a little worked up on this. Here's the thing. It's eroding the opportunity for some people to make it big. Now, the other thing is you got to understand, if you take the opposite track to this, you're going to kill it. If half your competition isn't dreaming, if half your competition is feeling entitled, if half your competition is, has an inconsistent work ethic, if the half your competition has a closed mind and an open mouth, I got to tell you, and the market's bigger, and the economy's bigger, and the opportunities are bigger, and there's more money than there ever was before, it is easier to make it big in America today than ever before. And there will be far more millionaires in the next 50 years than there were in the last 50 years. I guarantee it. Here's what I want to share with you. It's not just about parenting. My goal in life is often to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so let me do a little afflicting and I'll throw myself on the barbecue pit myself here. This isn't just about parenting. A great way to catch yourself to see if you have a growing or a creeping sense of entitlement in your own life is to catch yourself complaining. Catch yourself complaining. Because... The only reason you complain is because you think you're entitled to something. This person didn't respond to me a certain way because I feel like I'm entitled to that. This didn't happen because I feel like I'm entitled to that. This job didn't work out because I feel like I'm entitled to that. I'm putting on weight and getting out of shape because I feel like I can eat whatever the hell I want, not be physically active, and I'm entitled to still be in shape and be healthy. I'm going to say this to you. When you catch yourself complaining... What it's exposing is the creeping sense of entitlement. Now, I'm almost choking on these words as I'm sharing them with you because I'm a man with nothing to complain about in my life. No thing. I was driving here this morning. I drove in my Maserati up the coast road in California. I passed by four beaches. I rolled the windows down. I got the breeze coming in. I come in. I'm in my own studio doing work I love. And I get to talk for a living for the love of Mary, for an Irishman. And I had an interaction with a couple of people this morning. And there was this problem and that problem. And they were like, well, aren't you fritzed by that? And I go, are you kidding me? Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I catch myself complaining And I find myself giving my complaining muscles a workout all the time. And boys and girls, when you work muscles out, they get stronger. They get fitter. And the more you complain, the better you become at it. The more you complain, the more quick you are to complain. And what you're doing is you're deepening a sense of entitlement that is ultimately eroding your opportunity to make a big in America. All right. Deep breath. I know that was hard to hear. Number five reason we don't make it big in America, is an element that is called risk avoidance. Okay, People stop taking a risk. Now, there is no doubt the more comfortable we become, the more adverse to risk we are. And again, one of the reasons I wrote The Emigrant Edge is as someone who's left their home, left behind everything they knew and everyone they knew, and come to a strange land. Now, I spoke the language. As many people who come here don't speak the language. But let me tell you, Ireland and America are two countries separated by a common language. And coming to Southern California, I'll be honest with you, 
you know, Ireland in the mid-80s was considered a third world economic power. I landed in San Diego, California. It was like I'd come to Mars. And how people thought and the way they were and loosey-goosey and chilled out and all that. I mean, it was, it was like landing Mars. So, obviously, as an immigrant, you already believe in the dream because you're, you're motivated enough by the dream to leave and, and go to somewhere new. Now, many people will say, well, Brian, you know, you're an immigrant, so you had nothing to lose, so it'd be kind of easy for you to take risks. Well, here's the thing. I'm here 30 years now. I've been an American citizen for 15 and I have a lot of resources now, okay? Lots of buildings, lots of assets, lots of goodwill in the marketplace, all that kind of good. So today you could say, I have a lot to lose, a lot more than most. But the dynamic of how to make a big in America is, I'm still willing to take risk. I'm still invested in the future. By the way, I not only believe, I am certain that the next 20 years of Buffini and Company will be better than the last 20 years. I'm certain of it. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be bumps in the road, recessions, oppressions, and da-da-da-da, curveballs. I'm certain the next 20 years in Buffini Company is going to be better than the last. I'm investing in the future. I'm growing the business. Now, the difference is between taking a risk and managing risk. When you manage your risk, you minimize your vulnerabilities. Okay? You're not asking your resources or your people for an impossible return. Oh, I'm going to put the money in, it's going to double overnight, or I'm going to buy this stock and it's going to go up 700%. That's a recipe for disaster. That's not taking a risk. That, you might as well go to Vegas. So having a plan, basic, I know, boring stuff like a budget, you know, working on it, things take twice as long and cost twice as much. That's a great rule of thumb. When you put a plan together, it takes twice as long and it costs twice as much. And it's twice as hard as you think. There's a neat quote that I love. It says, take risks if you want to win. If you win, you'll be happy. And if you lose, you'll be wiser for the next risk. Okay? So you manage risk. And that's one of the ways to make it big in America. When people, they're raised in this thing called comfortable. Comfortable. When you're comfortable, you tend not to want to take risks. You play not to lose. You play to stay where you are. I like being comfortable. Well, let me tell you. If you don't take a risk, one day you're going to be uncomfortable. So what I like to do is take risks that I have comfort with the discomfort. That's a fact. And that's kind of an element of entrepreneurship. The number six reason people don't make it big in America is what's called the microwave mentality. The microwave mentality. I want it now. I want it immediately. I want it fast. Three payments of 1995. Four-minute abs. I, I spent four minutes looking for my abs. But I didn't make them in four minutes, I can tell you that. But that's what we're promised, the infomercial mindset. You know, you think about it. What food tastes great coming out of a microwave? The microwave, I have a microwave in my house. It has a function. But what food tastes great? Like, would you cook your Thanksgiving dinner in a microwave? You know, the crock pot. Now, there's a device. Get the ingredients, put it all together. My wife's off in Germany with my daughter Anna this week, the horse shows. Dad's going to do some cooking. And I've already got things planned. I've got this corned beef and cabbage thing I want to do for the kids. I'm going to put it in a crock pot. I'm going to go to work. And it's going to take what, six hours and simmer along. And that thing, the meat's going to fall off the bone. The juice will be in the veggies, the corned beef, the potatoes. It's going to be awesome. Okay? Now, here's the deal great ideas, great processes get better over time. Okay, that's the truth of it. And you need the crock pot, all right? When you have the microwave mentality, and the reason for the microwave mentality is this. 
I'm under stress. I'm feeling anxiety. There's a ton of pressure. And here's the thing. I want the pain to go away, and I want to go away now. That's the impetus for it. But here's what I promise you. When you have microwave mentality, you're going to go from pain to pain to pain to pain. And you never get to experience the joy and the pleasure of progress. It's like, no, that problem is still not solved. No, all those debts aren't gone. No, the fortune isn't completely where I can retire and never work another day in my life. No, all that stuff's not done. I get to make some progress. Ultimately, what we're talking about is the ability to delay gratification. Some people call it deferred gratification. Deferred gratification is the ability to resist the temptation for an immediate reward and ultimately get a a lesser reward. Generally, delayed gratification is associated with resisting a smaller but immediate reward in order to receive a larger or more enduring reward. I must say that again because I like it. Delayed gratification is associated with resisting a smaller but more immediate reward in order to receive a larger, more enduring reward. Okay? Put it off now. You can have it all later. That's the truth of it. The great Elvis Costello said, I'm not even sure what I want, but that's not the point. It's that I want it now is the main thing. And it's true. By the way, isn't that what a kid would say? So one of the reasons we have to really understand the opportunity to make it big in America is we can't think like kids. Number seven. The number seven reason people don't make it big in America is a lack of perspective. It's understandable. You know, if you spend 24 hours a day looking at our news or on the clickbait headlines on social media, it's just very easy to believe that everything's gone to hell in a handbasket. Uh, Society's in the worst place it's ever been. People are the most obnoxious they've ever been. The future's destroyed. The values are gone. Yada, yada, yada. And there's no doubt there's some trouble and stuff out there. But the fact of the matter is, what we have today is, I don't call it the United States of America, it's the United States of anxiety. And we have so many people who are wrapped so bleeding tight. And here's the thing. There are people who make a living, a lot of people who make a living, by putting a headline out there that's not true, that's designed to get you to click on it. And they get paid, whatever, an eighth of a cent somewhere in Lithuania or wherever else because they made you click on it. And what's happening now is we're seeing this dynamic going on. We have a new concept called fake news. Well, here's the thing. People exaggerated or didn't do their research in the past. But now we have it on a wide scale. Time magazine earlier this year had a headline. Time magazine. And it said, is truth dead in America? Now, what a wild concept. If truth's dead, we're all dead, right? Here's the thing. There are things that are true. And they're called principles. Principles don't change. Tactics do. Principles don't change. That's why I read Conwell's Acres of Diamonds from 120 years ago, the man that built Temple University. He used 57 cents to build the largest church in America. Brilliant man. Gave his speech, Acres of Diamonds, 6,200 times and gave every dime he had away. And he was a guy that led people down the path to finding and making their own fortune 120 years ago. And you know what the whole purpose, and you read Acres of Diamonds, he's given a speech in Philadelphia because people at the time in Philadelphia believed that the American dream was over. That you couldn't make money and be successful right there in Philadelphia. His audience, when he asked them what their biggest issue was, I think I need to move to New York in order to be successful. That was the thing. And you read Acres of Diamonds and, and what he talks about. And he gives example after example, how your fortune's underneath your nose. And out of Conwell came people like Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. How to win friends and influence people. Is that still needed today? 
And out of him came a fellow named Napoleon Hill who wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. As opposed to Don't Think and Be Broke. I'm going to do a, a cover of a recording called The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. Recorded in 1956. 1956. It was the first speaking album that became a gold album. Amazing. He actually made this recording for his little sales team, and it became so successful. Now, this is 1956, tiny fraction of the market that is today. It sold over a million copies. Here's the thing. You want to know what I was listening to on the drive this morning, coming into the office, breathing in some ocean air? I was listening to Earl Nightingale. I was not listening to Wolf Blitzer. Sorry, Wolf. Nothing against you. I'm sure Wolf Blitzer's a lovely guy. I just don't want to hear what he's talking about. I was listening to Earl Nightingale, and you know what? He was given principles of how to be successful in 1956 that every single one of them is applicable today, and that's why you're going to get a chance to listen to him on episode 61 of the podcast. You know, lack of perspective. Here's a couple things for you. My mother calls me a hive of useless information. You know that Americans on welfare are in the top 20% of income earners in the world. Think about that. You're in the top 20% if you're on welfare in America. The bottom 5% of the most poor people in America are richer than 68% of the world's population. Now, that doesn't mean there's not hardship in America. I certainly am involved in a lot of places where people are struggling and fighting hard and living day to day and trying to make a go of it. There's certainly hardship, poverty, need in this country. Of course there is. But let's get a little perspective, shall we? When you went to sleep last night, were you afraid that the government was going to be overthrown? You were going to be dragged out in the street and shot? Your place of worship going to be burnt down and not allowed to worship the God that you serve? Did you have clean water? Do you have access to medical and support and help? Is there work available? They say it's a 4.5% unemployment rate, which is basically full employment. Anyone who wants to work has a job. Did you have food? Did you have shelter? Now, I know there's some people struggling, but I'm talking to you. I'm going to give you a little overview here. It was a neat report. The World Bank was putting together its different dynamics, and it was ultimately, it said, why the United States will remain the strongest economy in the world. And I'm going to share it with you. And so here was the 10 things that the World Bank said. So first was a never-give-up attitude. This is the first thing they mentioned. That Americans have a never-give-up attitude. The spirit of the people was the first thing that the banking system of the world said was America's greatest asset. Think about it. That's in you. You know, the reason for the emigrant edge and the reason I wrote it is that every single person I'm writing this book to, their family came from somewhere else to be in this country and paid a price. I know that price. Let me tell you, the, every emigrant feels the pain of leaving. You know, the thing about it is America's my home, but I'll never be fully at home here. Now, I don't fit at home in Ireland either anymore. I always tell people I belong somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. The food, the culture, the this, the that, all the different things. Now, this is my home, and I'm proud of it. But think about this. The spirit of the people. Your ancestors, your predecessors came from somewhere. They came. They left everyone they knew. They left everything they knew. They probably didn't speak the language. Some of them moved from a hot place to a cold place. Some of them moved from a cold place to a hot place. And they moved to these cities and places they had no idea. They took on the horses and went to the Oklahoma land run and put a flag in the ground and they came from Latvia, they came from Turin, they came from Dublin, they came from Moscow, they came from wherever. And they built a life for themselves. In your DNA, a father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, great-grandfather, great-grandmother, someone in your DNA paid a big old price. And now 
What would they do with your opportunity? What would they do? What would they do with your business? What would they do with your assets? What would they do with the money you have access to? What would they think of your problems? I'm married to an African-American guy. I share with my kids their Irish heritage, but I also share with them their African heritage. Their great-grandfather is kind of an unusual thing. His name was Solomon Robinson. Now, Solomon was born shortly after the Civil War. And he had Jim Robinson as the youngest of 12 children, my wife's dad, and the kid's grandfather. He was born when Solomon was 60. So we almost skipped a generation. So my kid's great-grandfather goes back to right after the Civil War. He was a sharecropper and had to escape something that was almost more oppressive than slavery. I talk to my kids about that. So my kids are going, I don't want to go to practice. I got to get up early. I got homework to do. I go, what would Solomon think of that? Not a guilt trip, but like, really, like have a conversation. What would your great-grandfather Solomon do with that? He would have killed it. Okay? What would your great-grandfather Morin, who worked in the mines and died of a farm of black lung, what would he think of your opportunity? What would he think of your problems? We have first world problems, most of us. Again, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I am fired up about this. That's why I spent a year and a half writing this book. That's why I hope you get a copy. That's why I hope you buy a copy of the book, not just for yourself, but you buy a copy for your best clients because it's a great Popeye gift because you want to give them the gift of how to make it big in America. Okay, infomercial over. The next thing, geopolitical dominance and economic leverage. Here's the deal. America is not only the biggest, strongest economic power in the world, it will continue to be so. And geopolitics is the analysis and the relationship between human and physical geography towards international politics and therefore international relations between countries or states. America is still the straw that stirs the drink worldwide. Capital and financing. The United States private equity investment skyrocketed between World War II and the Vietnam War. And the years from 1959 to 81 were so lucrative Capital funding was focused on medical, electronic, data processing. That's where Silicon Valley was first born. And it has made America the mega companies that we see today that are bigger than most countries. Okay, bigger than most countries. Apple, Facebook, AT&T, Twitter, Yahoo. You know, all these huge companies. That's going on today. And now America has access to capital in its system like no other country in the world. The next thing the World Bank want to talk about was the American entrepreneurial spirit, that innovation and the creation of markets. You know, Apple didn't invent the iPhone. The, actually, the iPhone was developed in Germany. What Apple did and what America does better than any country in the world, it was develop a market for it. Somebody came up with the doohickey, and then Americans go, now watch this. Watch how we sell it. Watch how we promote it. Watch how we make it look cool. Watch how we put everyone in America with one of these things in our hands. And it'll be a phone, and it'll be music, and it'll be their news, and it'll be their communication, and they'll do their mail on it, and they'll use it as a camera, and they'll use it as a video. Boom. America made it cool. America builds markets. Other people can even come up with the ideas. But nobody, nobody builds a market like America. A couple of basic things. U.S. Petroleum Reserve. The U.S. currently has over a billion barrels of oil saved for a rainy day. Not a bad thing. Control of the world's currency reserve. The U.S. dollar is called the world's currency. By the way, how long has it been like that? Winston Churchill said, I hate the U.S. dollar. It's just better than every other currency in the world. It was in 1945. Still true today. Okay. 
US dollar is the world's currency. It remains stable due to strength and still very attractive to the United States Treasury as a security. Timber, mineral resources, access to large quantities of water. Okay, this is the stuff you need for life. We have resources, we have people. The ninth thing is vast tracts of US arable land. 470 million acres of land in the United States is under cultivation. I come from a country that's 300 miles long and 150 miles wide. There's farms in Texas that size for the love of Mary. The fact of the matter is, America produces not only enough food and resources for itself, but also billions of dollars worth to send all over the world. America is abundant in resources. Uh, You know, Amber waves of grain, right? These are not just some song from 100 years ago. It's true. We got oil, we got gas. We got timber, we got resources. We got water, we got food. We got innovation. We got the spirit of the people. We got money. We got a solid dollar. Is this microphone turned on? It's easier to make it here than anywhere, okay? And then ultimately a track record as a global presence, and that makes it sound for the future. So... In summary, here's a couple of things. There's seven reasons that stop us from making it big in America. Not dreaming, closed-mindedness, inconsistent work ethic, a sense of entitlement, risk avoidance, a microwave mentality, and a bit of a lack of perspective. But ultimately, those things are not going to stop you and I. The very fact that you're listening to this show today tells me that you want to grow. You want to learn. And you want to achieve your version of the American dream. Now, as I mentioned, there's over 150 countries listening to this podcast. I hope to export this idea of the American dream to all of you. I wrote the book, The Emigrant Edge, to give back to this great country that's given so much to me. Every dime that we make from the book is actually being reinvested to get the message out to more people. That's what we're doing with it. I've done well. I've made my money. I'm very, very thankful. I'm going to continue to grow my business But this podcast, we don't charge people to be on it. And millions of people have had a chance to listen to it. This book, we're going to continue to give it out. I hope you participate in it. Because let me ask you this. Do you think this is a message that more people need to hear? Do you think this podcast might be worth sharing? Do you think maybe you could pick up a copy of The Emigrant Edge, read it, pass it on to a friend? So, in our next episode, I'm going to outline the seven traits that are common amongst America's classic rags to riches story. I built out the seven problems. I'm going to get into the seven answers. So it's very important you listen to the second episode or I'm going to leave you hanging, okay? Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to head over and leave us a review on iTunes. I love hearing your feedback. It's the kind of stuff that lets me know what you want to hear and the content that you're looking for. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can, so be sure to share this show with others. So as I finish here today, I want to leave you with the words my grandfather used to say, who never emigrated himself, but I'm sure he'd be very happy with the results of all his grandchildren who did take the risk and put everything they owned into a duffel bag, headed for the new world and built for themselves a wonderful life. So he used to say this, may the roads rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and the rain soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.